This is the download for Sam Nancy Lehman Church. And I think those coats might be the answer to go and grab and get. I'm feeling a little bit chilly. How are you doing out there? Are you all right? Oh, dear. It's nice to be with you again after being away for a couple of weeks and being a bit poorly. It's nice to be back to normality again, um, which, is, which is fantastic. And I want to just apologise. Um, I feel a bit discombobulated, actually, because um, of this folder that's sticking out. I'm sorry, but it's not really... You probably didn't even notice, did you? It's, it's, ma- it's making me feel a bit uneasy, but I've had to move into my mum and dad's this weekend because the heating's broken. I, I think it's where I'm ever I'm going. My heat, the heat, it's me, isn't it? <laughs> I'm bringing this with me. And my heating's broken, so I moved in with the parents, and then when I went to do, I usually have this little folder, and I didn't have it, and so I had to find this bit of a beast. So, anyway... Like you care, doesn't matter, does it, really? Hey? <laughs> anyway, let's um, look at the Bible, shall we? So I want you to look up uh, Luke for me, Luke chapter 11. It would be great. Okay, Luke chapter 11 and verses 5 to um, 13. We're just going to read this little parable here, a well-known one called The Friend at Midnight. So let's read that together. Um, Jesus said to them, <clears throat> which of you shall have a friend, and go to him at midnight, and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is a friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. I want us to have a little look at this parable today. But first of all, I want us to think about God, which is a good thing to think about when you're in church, isn't it? When we think about the idea of God, what comes into our minds, what words suddenly come into our heads when we think about God and the nature of God. I wonder what it is. Different things will come, and the person sitting next to you might have different ideas about God and how we perceive God and God's nature. It's always great, isn't it, to... um, Ask the children when you want an opinion about something, okay? Um, and I found some ideas from children about what God is, and I'm going to share them with you. Remy, age seven, said, God is inside everything from spiders to trees to humans. It's a nice one, isn't it? I really don't think God's in spiders. <laughs> don't think so. Um, Ethan, age eight, said, God doesn't have a house. He doesn't need one except on Sundays, because that's the day he likes to rest. Mary said that, I think God has a beard and a scarf. Good. And Molly said, I'm pretty sure he has brown hair and it's kind of long. 
Chad said, God has a really, 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 really nice personality. (laughs) Piper 5 said, God can grow you and he can dance, but he cannot type. I don't know. (laughs) Where does that come from? Okay. God can grow us. He can dance, but he can't type. And Liam, age five, said, God is, up, God is up as high as the sun. He sometimes might get hot. Yeah. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, it's great, isn't it, to hear different ideas and concepts about God. And we've all got our image and our idea of what God is. It's lovely this morning, and I know God um, is amazing, and he works in great ways. But just from what Mary was praying before, and Tim, and, and just what's been shared this morning really fits in with what I want to speak about today. I shouldn't be surprised at that, but sometimes it still surprises me how God just puts everything together so wonderfully. But I'm ever surprised and ever in in awe and wonder just about how really mysterious and amazing God is. Um, And I just find the Christian life so exciting that, you know, you've got this idea of God. You know, I've been in the church, you know, I've been all my life really. And got this idea and concept of what I think God is and grown up with certain ideas and images and then I'm ever, it's ever being challenged, that idea, and ever being changed by what I read, what I listen to, the people I speak with. Um, and I love that. I love that, you know, I don't know. I only know a tiny little bit about God, really. And um, every time I read the Bible and, and, and just try and see something differently, and I think it's just amazing. And And sometimes I find with my life, and you might be a little bit like me, that you've got a certain idea of what God is and a certain idea of God's nature, but actually sometimes the way I live my life is is, is in contradiction to kind of what I know about God because we sing, like just then, we're singing loads of fantastic things about God and, and yet sometimes, you know, I live my life and it doesn't really look like I believe those things about God. Don't feel like me ever. You know, I, I say that God's forgiving, but sometimes I don't really feel forgiven. Or, um, you know, I say that God is good, but then sometimes I don't always feel that. And yet I kind of know these things. But I, I love to be challenged and I love to see a glimpse of God that perhaps I've not seen before. And just the other day I was reflecting <coughs> in the Bible on the feminine characteristics of God. Now, we know God is genderless, but... Um, We talk about God as he, we talk about God as father to help us understand, but there's some wonderful feminine qualities. Um, It's probably not even politically correct to categorise them anymore, but in the Bible of God. And I was reflecting on these things and and just being surprised again at what I hadn't seen before, which was brilliant, which was really good. Now, that's a whole other sermon that I'm very excited about. But, um, But it's great, and I hope I never get to that point in my life, in my Christian journey, where I just think to myself... Oh, yeah, I've got God sorted. Like, yeah, I know what God's about. Um, Because I love to encounter him in new ways. And you go and see different cultures and different ideas, don't you? And you think, wow, I didn't realise that about God. That's amazing. And I hope and pray, really, that I do start to live more in line with really what the Bible actually says about God, rather than sometimes my maybe misinterpretations of the way I perceive God to live according to the scripture, to live according to the fact that God is good. All of the time, God is good. And God loves me. And God is trustworthy. And God's ways are higher than my ways. 
You see, because if I really grab a hold of the truth of God and the nature of God, then I wouldn't find myself being frustrated at times. I wouldn't find myself feeling like God's not there and, you know, God's not responding to me and God's not listening to my prayers. But sometimes I live like that and yet I know that God's not like that and I have to try and bring them together. Sometimes I think perhaps the Christian journey can just be too much about me and sometimes when I look at my own life and my Christian journey, I, I realise that I'm focusing a lot on me. And I think we can all do that. We can think too much about ourselves. Maybe we talk too much about ourselves, pay too much attention to us and our circumstance and our situation. You know, Andy was saying today about you know, bringing that to God. And sometimes, even in like godly spaces of church or prayer meetings or Bible study, it can still be so much about me, about what I need, and about everything about me and us. And perhaps I don't always talk enough to God about God and come to God about him and his nature and pay attention to him. Sometimes I come into church, I think, oh, what, you know, what can I get today? It's probably the wrong way. I mean, it's good to come and get stuff, isn't it? But really, I'm here to worship God. And so, sometimes I find myself supposing things, perhaps about the nature of who God is, and maybe I've supposed wrong. Maybe I've misinterpreted something, or I've seen something in the wrong way, or I've perceived it wrong. And I think God sometimes just wants to remind us exactly who he is, and his wonderful, amazing nature. And so I want to take us through three little supposes today in this parable um, that I've been looking at. I want us to suppose a few things this morning. And first of all, I want to suppose one particular thing. I want us to get a feel for the culture um, <coughs> that this parable was set in. I'm often talking about this, but I think it's really important because we need to remember that Jesus is speaking here to Middle Eastern listeners. Now, in the Middle East, then, back then, but even today, um, we've got to understand the culture is quite different to our culture here in the West. It's a different idea. And there's this real um, concept of honour and shame, isn't there? Where things, you know, you do things to bring honour to the family, to bring honour to yourself, and if you don't do it, you bring shame on the family, and you, you, you know, you bring shame on yourself. And that can be bound up, and like when we look at the religions, or maybe even Islam or Judaism, there's this real sense of um, honour and shame. And perhaps we don't get that so much in our culture here in the West, but this is the culture of the day still is in the Middle East. And Jesus is speaking in to this culture. The listeners um, would have been in that whole idea, bound up with honour and shame. So I want us to suppose that, like the culture of, of that day, that that's the culture that we're in. To try and get ourselves into the mindset of that, that our lives are bound up in this idea of honour and shame. To try and see it like that. Around the world, there's so many different cultural practices, aren't there? And some of you will know this, when you travel to different places and different countries, you've got to kind of realise and recognise what you need to do so you don't cause offence, because you don't want to cause offence to anybody. And um, there's loads of different things that these cultures and communities have to do so that they don't bring shame on their family. I've witnessed this in my brief little encounters around the world that I've been to on different travels, that um, I've needed to be aware that I need to show respect to their cultural traditions 
and their ideas and what's going on. In the African um, culture, they really value past and present. So they really, really value their elders. And um, if you go into the African community, that you, you, know, you respect the elders and they're the ones that you meet and greet and they're the ones that ask the questions and they're the ones that get served first. Um, oh, let me just turn this on. When I went to, I think you've seen this picture before, but when I went to South Africa just last summer, we went into a community and we were giving food distribution out. And um, as we went in, we were greeted and we were presented um, uh, the elder of the community was this lovely, lovely lady. And we were, you know, she was presented to us and we were introduced to her first and, you know, we had to speak to her and she was the one that we communicated with and um, she's the one that we ended up, the photo's not there, but we were praying for. And so in different cultures, there's this different idea, isn't there, of just doing things to honour people and not bringing shame. Let's suppose for a moment that we can get our minds into that framework that we live in a culture of such high regard for other people. Let's try and just leave, and for a moment, our Western individualism, you know, because in our culture we're quite individualistic, aren't we, in a way. Um, let's just put that to one side, where we are the, the centre of everything, that it's about self, okay, that we are the ones that matter most. Try and get out of that, and suppose instead that we are in this culture of honour and shame. And it's difficult for us because, actually, we are conditioned in a certain way. We are conditioned to be quite individual. Even in, even in church life, um, we can sort of do our God walk individually and, you know, pray individually. And that's not wrong at all. But this isn't the culture that Jesus is speaking into. Jesus is speaking into a different culture. A culture where there's this idea of expectation, of honouring other people. It's a culture where community really matters and you are working alongside other people. And to not invite people into your home, to not look after people, to not care for the elderly, and to not give even when you don't have much, that would have been utterly disrespectful. You know, everybody looked out for the people, and you, and you, didn't, well, you wouldn't want to bring shame upon yourself or upon your family. So let's suppose we're just in that mindset, in that culture. You know, our Western way of doing things, we, we struggle because we don't always see it. I mean, just look at the news recently and all that's happening at the moment with everybody coming forward um, about how much disrespect we've been giving to women over the years and how much honour that the women haven't had and they've been completely disrespected. And that's in our culture, but let's try and see it as a Middle Eastern listener, okay? That we are in this mentality of shame and culture. And Jesus is speaking into this. So we read in verse 5 to 7, and he said to them, which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. Now, the problem with our version of events is that so much has gotten lost in translation from the original Greek to what we have now in our English versions. And so we have to interpret it properly to see the real meaning of what's going on here. And actually, what is being asked is this. Jesus is putting forward the question to the listeners. Can anyone imagine having a friend 
and going to him at midnight and calling for this bread for this visitor that's come along. Can anyone imagine this scenario happening where someone goes to this person and then from within, the sleeper within says, you know, no, um, you know, I'm sleeping, my children are sleeping, doors shut, etc. And we have to understand that from the Middle Eastern listener at the time, they would be sitting there listening to Jesus and Jesus said, can you imagine this scenario happening? And they would have all gone, no, absolutely not. There would have been a complete negative response, response from all of them and go, that's ridiculous. I can't imagine that scenario ever happening. That wouldn't have happened. And it's crucial for us to understand that that's what's going on here. Jesus is presenting to them a scenario. Imagine you ask for bread because you've got this guest traveller that's arrived. And your friend says to you, don't trouble me, the door's shut, I, I, you know, I can't come. There is no way that the Middle Eastern mind could have imagined such a scenario playing out. That wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't. There wouldn't have been such silly excuses that the door's closed, that my children are sleeping, that I can't come and, and get up, when there's an adequate good request because this guest has come along and needs help and needs, needs a meal. Because they had this sense of responsibility. They had this sense of honouring people who came into the community. So the person going to ask for bread, let's call him the host at this time, okay? He's got to serve the guest, the friend, the traveller that's arrived. That would have been the cultural expectation of the day. For this person to come along, request a meal, and for him to entertain. He would have been welcomed in. And at the time, it's not just the guest of the host, but he's the guest of the village community. He's the guest of everybody. Everybody would have been involved in this. So it's laughable, it's, it's ridiculous, absurd, for the Middle Eastern listener to think of such a scenario where the person wouldn't get up. Of course the person would get up to help. Of course that would happen. It would have been laughable to think otherwise. So let's suppose for a moment that point, that idea, okay, that we can imagine that as a Middle Eastern listener. No, that scenario, that would never have happened. For years, I think perhaps, we've interpreted, and I know I have, this parable quite differently. I've read it differently because actually our translations really don't do it justice, and I think that's why I've read it differently. And we've perhaps, and I have, read verses 5 to 7 that I've just read as the friends in the house, the sleepers in the house, and this guy comes along, the host comes and asks the sleeper to get up and give him something. And my picture has always been that the sleeper in the house is like mighty reluctant to get up. It's like, no, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm sleeping, my kids are asleep, stop bothering me, the door's shut, go away. I've always seen it like that, okay? That this sleeper in the house has been completely reluctant to move and then, but okay, yeah, all right, I'll get up eventually. Now, if this was the case, if that's actually how we read it, and if we're supposed to read it like that, we would have to suppose then that God is the type of God who is reluctant, the type of God who is begrudging, the type of God that needs conjoling, because we know the sleeper in the parable represents God. The sleeper is symbolic of God. We would have to suppose, as it says in verse 8, 
God wants us to persist in asking and basically persist to the point of conjoling God to change his mind. That's how we would have to read it if we interpreted it in such a way. And I sort of have. And often wondered, what's that about? Now, you might be a little bit like me, thinking, that would be a strange and peculiar picture of God, would it not? For God to be reluctant, for God to be begrudging, for, for God to have to be conjoled into our way of thinking. But really, if you think about what I just said, it kind of makes sense now. It makes more sense to see what is going on when we see it from the Middle Eastern listener. Because actually what we've got now is just in the same way that the Middle Eastern listener said, that's laughable, I can't imagine that scenario ever going on. That wouldn't happen. The sleeper wouldn't make silly excuses like that. He's got a responsibility and he knows it. And he would want to come and help me. So I can't even imagine that situation. Well, I think that that's how we have to see it with God as well. In light of what we've just looked at and just unpacked, Of course, actually, that's a laughable picture of God. A God who's reluctant. A God who, you know, doesn't want to oblige. A God who can't be bothered to get up. No way would the sleeper not get up. There's no way that God won't get up. There's no way that God won't respond to us. And that's why I said earlier before, when you guys were praying and bringing forward, it just fits in so perfectly. But God will always respond. And sometimes that misinterpretation, without even realising it, thinking that God, I've got to persist, etc. I've got to, you know, God's going to be reluctant. God's not going to come to me. No, God's always going to come to us. As you know, I find the study of other religions quite fascinating. It's a good job because I do it for a living, so it's a good job I enjoy it. But there's one thing that always amazes me and that I find really cool in the other religions. And this is people's devotion to God. You see some of the most devout followers of God in other religions who will do just amazing things, go to great lengths for their God. And um, they take up often an ascetic lifestyle of just giving everything up um, to devote to God. And they go through massive amounts of pain both you know, mentally, uh, physically, to do all sorts of things. Some Hindu ascetics, some followers, spend years just lying on beds of nails, lying on cactuses, I don't know. They bury themselves neck deep in, in sand. They put spikes through their tongues. Um, they stare at the sun. They meditate for hours. They go into trees. They don't talk for years. There's so many different practices that go on, all in order to show their devoutness to their God, to try and um, free themselves from the cycle of life, from the cycle of life and death and rebirth and reincarnation that they believe in, to free themselves, to rid themselves of that. They do this um, devout practices. Now, I don't know whether any of you have heard of um, some of these practices or heard of the guy, the rolling barber. Have you ever heard of him? I speak about him quite a lot at school. He's quite cool. But he decided to roll like this. This is what some of the practices are like um, on his side, through dirty streets, etc. And in 2004, he rolled for um, 1,300 kilometres. 
Okay, so he wore bandages on his legs and his arms, um, and uh, he moved at quite a fast pace, so he could cover 30 kilometres a day. And devotees that were around would sweep in front of him, like the glass and everything away. But he would roll through all sorts of things, garbage, dung, all sorts of stuff. He had a problem when he came to a pavement that was so hot the pavement started to melt, and he had a problem when he was rolling over. (laughs) Can you imagine doing that? He even decided to stand, um, as a, de- a devout Hindu, for seven years, he decided to stand up for seven years. He didn't, go, he didn't sit down, lie down for seven years. And lots of actually Hindus do this. This is what they do. They make a little support for themselves. They lean over it um, to keep, help keep themselves upright. And this rolling bar did it for seven years in a devout practice. And if you think that's amazing, look at this Hindu guy. He decided to raise his arm for 38 years. Okay? For 38 years, he had his arm raised up in devotion to Shiva, the god in Hinduism. That's crazy, isn't it? Albeit to say he can't use his arm anymore. Um, It's stuck like that. Uh, um, But, you know, can you imagine having to do those things? Feeling like you should do those things in devotion to your God. I'll, I'll put that off now. But <laughs> there were some gory things I could have showed you, but I thought, well, best, best not. Um, I don't want to be doing that. Now, hats off to people who are willing to go to those extreme lengths. Um, I mean, if God ever asked me to do that, I'm not sure whether I'd have the, <laughs> the ability to stand for seven years or hold my arm up for 38. But thank goodness that our God doesn't ask that of us, doesn't require such um, great lengths, because I don't think I'd be able to achieve it. You know, the God of Abraham, the Isaac, and Jacob that we worship doesn't actually require us to do those things, does he? doesn't require us to do acts of penance or, you know, flog our guts out in that way. Because the Bible speaks about us having full access to the Father heart of God. We have full access through Christ the Son. And we don't have to go through those lengths to devote ourselves to God because the Bible talks about an open door where we can freely and boldly approach God. We don't have to stand for seven years. And we don't have to come persistently to conjole God into a different way of thinking. And I wonder whether we wrongly perceive God to be like this at times. Like, we just have to do a little bit more. Like, we just have to say a little bit more. Like, we just have to try a little bit harder. Like, we just have to persevere a little bit longer. And I kind of read that a little bit in that passage. And I think it's wrong. I think seeing it in this different way shows us that actually God is a God of integrity, a God of honour, a God of respect for us. He highly honours you. God highly respects you. And he's always responsive to our call. Always. It's ridiculous. It's absurd to us to think that we would call out for the need of others, that we would call out to God, and he would say, not now. I'm sleeping. The door's shut. The children are asleep. Don't bother me. And the Middle Eastern listener knew that that wouldn't happen with the sleeper. The sleeper would get up and respond can't imagine a scene like that do we know do we really know and fully trust 
that God responds to us, that God hears us all of the time. He always is listening to us. And why were the listeners so convinced of this? Why were they so convinced the sleeper would get up? And why can we be so convinced that God will respond? Well, that take us to my final suppose. In verse 8, it says this, I say to you, though we will not rise and give to him because he is friend, he is a friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs, loaves of bread. And the thing is, is we've read this word persistence, but if we look at verse 8 and we <coughs> look at what it's actually saying, some versions say persistence, some of your verses might say boldness, some may say shameless audacity, um, Importunity could be another word that's used. Different translations have translated it differently. But it's the wrong translation. And you might say, oh, well, why? How, how, how has that happened? Well, I'm not, I haven't got time. Although this mic has got 12 hours and 34 minutes on it. So I do actually have time. But I guess you guys don't want me to do that. I don't have time to go into why it's been translated in that way. But it has been for us. And it's wrong. I think it's incorrect. Um, and like I said, I'm not going to go into detail, but it, it got mistranslated along the way. And we've attributed that idea of persistence or boldness or shameless audacity or whatever it is in your Bible, we've attributed it as well to the wrong person, I think. We've attributed it to the host, the one calling out. And I think we've got the wrong man in the story of where that's attributed as well. If we translate the original Greek word, um, we would get a different word. Okay? And the persistence and the, and the boldness and shameless audacity, whatever it is, that's just incorrect. It's inadequate. It's inadequate in so many ways, contextually, theologically, linguistically, stylistically, all of those different things. It's, I think it's wrong. But suppose the word actually translates as this, more appropriately, avoidance of shame. So let's put that in the right context. I say to you, though we will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his avoidance of shame, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Whose avoidance of shame? Not the hosts. No, not him, not the one calling, the sleeper. Because of the sleeper's avoidance of shame, he will get up and he will answer the man who is calling out. That's how it's supposed to be translated. Whatever the needs of this host, whatever he wants, as much as he needs, which it says at the end there, he will give. So not just the loaves, but whatever he needs, he will respond. Why? To avoid shame. Because the Middle Eastern listener knows too well that the sleeper will rise. And it's not because they're friends, because it says to us, it's not because of the friendship's sake. No, it's because if he didn't, he would be met with cries of shame from the community. If the next day the community found out that that sleeper didn't get up and respond to the friend, then shame would be upon him. Because the community knew that you got up and you helped. Because that was the culture of the day. That was the culture of the time. God is not responding out of how close we might be to him how much we think we've done to earn God's favour. That's not why God is responding. It's not how much effort, how much persistence, how much we've done. That's not God's response. That's what's not, that's, it's not doing it. It's out of the nature of who God is that he will respond to us. He will hear us. God will not bring shame. God will not bring dishonour on who he is. He will meet the expectation of who he is. He won't do go run contrary to the nature of himself. 
It's not because of our persistence that God will be convinced to change his mind and reluctantly get up to respond. God is more than willing to hear. God is more than willing to respond to us. Actually, he wouldn't do any other, just like the sleeper in the story. Of course, he will rise and respond to us. Not just the loaves of bread, which is why we know that the sleeper is not reluctant, because it, it says further on, he gives him much more. He gives him everything he needs. Suppose all this time we've just not realised that that's what God is like, or forgotten, perhaps, the nature of God. And we've perhaps thought God won't hear us. And God won't respond to us, that we have to do more, that we have to persist more. Now, I'm not saying persistence in prayer is, is wrong. There's other passages in the Bible, the unjust judge, where the widow goes and it shows about being persistent. But here in this story, it's not like we have to go to God and God is dragging his feet to come and respond to us. When all along, as Timothy Keller, a great theologian, states this, we can have total assurance that God will answer us when we call. Because one terrible day, he did not answer Jesus when he called. And Jesus' prayers were given the rejection that we sinners merit so that our prayers could have the reception that Jesus merits. That one day in Gethsemane, when Jesus cried out to God, and God didn't respond. Why? So that we would always have God responding to us. Amazing that the merit that was for Jesus is given to us. So we can have total assurance that God will respond. Will we get everything we want, that we desire and ask for? No, maybe not. Maybe we won't. But it doesn't mean God's not answering. It doesn't mean that God doesn't hear. You know, our time frame... Sometimes it's just not in touch with reality. Because our perspective on timing, compared with God's perspective on timing and the bigger picture, is almost like a two-year-old with an adult. You know, a two-year-old's timing perspective is way different, isn't it, to an adult's perspective. And God can have good reasons for making us wait for things. But he might give to us what we ask, maybe, or give us what we would have asked, if we actually knew everything that he knows. It's interesting in this parable to note this, that the guy who was calling out, the host, who was calling out on behalf of his friend, was doing it for someone else, wasn't he? He was going to the sleeper, not for himself. It wasn't a selfish thing. It was for somebody else. And I was saying before earlier about sometimes me thinking that everything in my Christian life is often very much about me. I've really stopped trying to pray. I'm praying less about me now. I'm trying to pray more about others and more just about God and who God is and change the way I think about things. Because he was, came to the sleeper for somebody else's needs. We can't decide how to pray based on what types of prayers are most effective for producing the experiences and the feelings that we want. We pray in response to God himself. Yeah. Jesus is saying, when you go to a neighbour and everything is against you, this is what he's saying to the listeners, everything's against you, it's night time, the neighbour's asleep, his children are asleep, the door is locked. All of those things are stacked up against you when you go to this person. And yet, he will respond. And yet, you will receive more than you ask. This is because 
The neighbour is a man of integrity and he's not going to violate that quality. He's not going to bring shame upon himself and his family. The God to whom we pray also has integrity. Yeah? And he will not violate that. And beyond this, he really loves you. He really loves you. If you're confident of having your needs met when you go to such a neighbour in the night, how much more can we rest assured when we take our requests to a loving father, when we go to him? God is a God of honour. God is a God of respect. And God highly honours you and respects you and is always responsive to our call. We might not always feel it, yeah? We might not always sense it. We might sometimes be thinking we're throwing random sentences into the air or thoughts or whatever it is. But what we see in this parable here is Jesus trying to say, look, God responds. God always responds. It'd be really silly to think that God would do any other. It'd be really silly to, for God, for us to think that God is shut the door and asleep and not wanting to come. God wants you to call. He wants to respond. And perhaps this parable, just as I close, has another little message here. Because as God gives us the example here, sets the example of honouring those that call on him, perhaps he's saying something about us as a church, doing the same The sleeper would not have left the host outside. He'd want to honour the host. He'd want to respond to him and show the example to his children in the house. He'd want to show his example to the children to say, this is what we do, children. Someone comes, someone's in need, we respond to them. Yeah, We don't leave them, we don't leave them standing outside. This is what you do. Maybe there's something in that for us as well. About looking at that culture that God is setting and how we respond to other people, how we respond to each other, how we respond to our community. It's great to hear that people are setting up things for outside in the community, Easter, parents and toddlers, all these things. Because that's the culture that God has set for us. And I wonder how we're responding to other people. We're not leaving them outside. Are we? God has set a culture God has set a culture where people matter, people are really, really important, and people are always listened to, and people should always be responded to. God's not reluctant. God's not slow. God's not rolling his eyes when you come to him. Sometimes I think when I come to God, I'm like, "Ah, God, are you listening? God, do you really want to listen to me today? Can you be bothered? I don't know, maybe that's just me. And then I read this and I go... No, Nick, it's not like that. God's not reluctant. God's not slow. God is eager. God is eager to respond and he set that culture and I think as church we need to be in line with that culture that God has set. That we too see that people matter, that we respond to them because we don't want to bring shame on us. We don't want to bring shame on the church or the Christian community either. We don't want to dishonour God's name by leaving people standing out there, rolling our eyes because we've got to help. And I think God has set that as an example for us as well. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads or to contact us, 
please visit our website at delanceelim.co.uk.